Good morning. It's so wonderful to see so many people here to support these young men in their decision this morning. That support goes a long ways. And as we all know, baptism is something that only takes a moment or two, but that the following takes a lifetime. And that happens in a community. That happens in a family of faith. And it needs uh, every person who's a part of that family to help encourage and hold each other accountable and strengthen each other along that journey. And so your presence here today, not only as church family, but also as relatives and friends, uh, means a lot, and standing with them is, is so important. So thank you for being here. Someone uh, once said that the best sermons are lived, not preached. And I think today these three young men stand before us as living sermons. We have just heard their testimonies we have heard how God's power has been at work in their lives. And we have heard their commitment, their declaration of wanting to follow God, uh, to serve him with their lives. And shortly, we will also bear witness as they enter the waters of baptism. And Karen just gave us a great teaching on what that represents. This act of baptism, this physical uh, thing of getting wet in a tank, it means a lot more than, than just that. And I was thinking that uh, Declan's suggestion of a water slide would be a great way to get baptized. <laughs> or we could do it with one of those dunk tanks where you get the baseballs and then instead of me tipping them back, I just got to work on my pitching arm and then we'll get you baptized that way. But you know what, regardless of, of how you get baptized, the, the incredible thing is what it represents. It represents that through Jesus' death, going into the tomb, as Karen said, going into the grave, that we too, we go under the water, and we go into the grave with him. And in the water, our sins are represented that they've been washed away, they've been buried with Christ in his death. And that our old self dies with him in that water, it's buried. But then, thank God, we rise with him to new life, a new creature in Christ, with new power to live a life that's pleasing to him and for him. And so this is what is being represented here today. And so as we consider this, uh, I pray that each one of us would also consider what this means for each one of us as we see these young men, these young men taking their, their stand of faith today. Now, as we consider baptism, uh, we're going to be doing that in just a short while. And to make sure that some, you know, are, are good and baptized might take a little bit longer than others. So uh, I've promised Caden that he is going to have the longest baptism that this church has ever seen. So I hope that you've been working on holding your breath, Caden, so uh, that you're all, all ready to go. No snorkels allowed. <laughs> but with, with that being said, we know that in this act, there is a life change happening that we get to be a part of. Their actions speak for themselves. They are all in. They're holding nothing back as they follow Christ. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this day gives you glory. We know that this day is for your fame, not our own. This is not about us, Lord. This is about you. This is about you, a great God and Savior, who saw us in our sin, who saw us lost, trying to live life our own way, trying to find pleasure in whatever way we could. And you saw us in that con condition without hope, without a way to, to have anything beyond the grave. And you sent your Son into this world to rescue us, to live a perfect life, 
and then to die the perfect death, that you died on the cross, a, a sinless and spotless Lamb of God, and you took all of our sins upon yourself. You took the punishment that we deserved on your own shoulders, and then you went into the grave, and you defeated death itself by rising from the dead by the power of God, and now you live forever, never to die again. And so we believe that through faith in you, we will rise with you. That death holds no victory over us any longer. That in you, we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. And so, Father, we give you all glory and praise for this great gift of salvation. And we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would descend upon us. We pray, God, that by your great work, you would speak to our hearts here today. I pray, God, that as we are challenged, each one of us, by this commitment and the testimonies we have just heard and will soon bear witness to. I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of our hearts what you ask of us for this same power that we've heard testimony of this morning that is working in these young men's lives is also ready and available to speak and to work in each of our lives as well. And we know that that is your desire this morning. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit and through your word, would you speak to us? Would you give me boldness to speak your words clearly as I should? May they be yours, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus gave this call. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, Eric, Mitchell, and Caden have received Jesus' call, and they are committed to being a disciple of Jesus, to follow him daily, wherever he leads. But now, allow me to play devil's advocate for just a moment. What exactly does it mean, in practical terms, what does it mean to say, I am committed to following Jesus wherever he leads? As I said at the outset, the act of baptism is over in just a moment, or a few moments in Caden's case. But once that moment is finished, what then? What does a lifelong journey of discipleship look like? Does following Jesus simply mean that we, you know, show up to church on Sunday morning once in a while? Is that it? Is that all that a life of discipleship now looks like? You know, and if it is, preferably, you know, a church that doesn't demand too much of me, right? A church that focuses on my needs, you know, has the worship style the way I like it, has climate-controlled temperature set to my precise preference, of course, and while we're at it, wouldn't valet parking be nice? I think we should get on that. You know, could it possibly be that there's more to this life of discipleship than that? Could it be that Jesus' call does not begin and end at the Sunday morning worship service? Could there be so much more to this life of discipleship than we have led on? Could the life of a disciple be less about what I want and more about what he wants? The following are actual comment cards that were received by the staff at Bridger Wilderness Area from people who had visited the park. Comment. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Comment. Too many bugs, leeches, and spiders. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Comment. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be installed so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike. Comment, the coyotes made too much noise last night, kept me out. Please eradicate these pests. 
comment, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can be reimbursed? (laughs) Comment, a McDonald's at the trailhead would sure be nice. Could you look into installing one? Now, these comments and complaints, yes, they are real. (laughs) They indicate that the people who visited this wilderness area did not really understand what it meant to have a wilderness experience. They were looking for something convenient and comfortable, but not a true wilderness journey. In a similar way, many people today do not understand what it means to be a genuine Christian. There are many that claim to follow Jesus, but wish to do so on their own terms in their own fashion. They do not truly comprehend the biblical definition of discipleship. Jesus confronts this problem in our text today, and turn there with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 14. There in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, we read, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple... You must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. The first thing I want you to notice in this text is that large crowds were following Jesus. Large crowds are following. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what every preacher wants? A large crowd, and they're following him. You know, Jesus should have just stopped right there, put a stake in the ground, and said, I'm starting my mega church. I've got a large crowd. They're following me. Let's get this party started. Let's start building. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my following right here. Why didn't he? Why didn't Jesus go with the the standard of our day? You have a large crowd, you build something mega, build something big, build something that people will notice. Why does he take the next step that he does? Why does he challenge them and risk losing them? Why does he risk driving them away? The answer is Jesus didn't want a casual follower. Jesus desired true disciples committed disciples, ones who had counted the cost. And it's still the same way today. You see, Jesus knew the majority of the crowd was only following for what he could do for them. So long as Jesus kept the miracles rolling, the food coming, and the teaching light and fluffy, they would stick around for more. But what if Jesus demanded something of them in return? What then? What if Jesus gave them a difficult teaching, one that was hard to accept, What then? Were they ready and willing to count the cost? Sadly, they were not. Scriptures record that every single time Jesus challenged the crowds with a difficult teaching or a call for complete allegiance, the crowds vaporized, vamoose, they vanished in the blink of an eye. The cost was simply too high. Today there are people just like that. They're just like the crowds who want what Jesus has to offer. They want forgiveness of sins. They want salvation. They want peace. They want to know that they're going to heaven when they die. They want someone who will answer their prayers and be there for them in difficult times. But when following Jesus becomes inconvenient to their lifestyle, 
when following Jesus means that I've got to change something about how I'm living my life that I don't want to change. When it requires real sacrifice of giving up something in your life that's near and dear to you for the sake of following Christ, they fade away, just like the crowds. You see, many people want a Savior who has sacrificed everything for them by dying on the cross for their sin in their place. But they don't want a Lord who demands a life of obedient service in return. But in stark contrast to this mentality, to this way of thinking, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Now, in Roman-occupied Israel, everyone knew exactly what Jesus meant by this saying, you must pick up your cross. We have a picture of a cross there where the the slogan says, showing Christ's love. How does a cross, an object of torture and execution, show Christ's love? Well, you see, everyone knew that the Romans used this as a means of not only executing their criminals, but humiliating them and sending a message to everyone else, this is what happens to those who would oppose Rome. And so everyone knew that it was more than just execution, it was a spectacle. And so the criminal, to add to the spectacle, was forced to pick up his cross and to carry it to the place of execution, all the while having the crowds watch, ridiculing, mocking, scorning. Everyone knew that when a man walked by with a cross, he was a dead man walking. Everyone knew that a man carrying a cross was saying goodbye to everyone and everything. And so when Jesus said, you must pick up your cross in order to follow me, you're saying goodbye to everyone and everything. You're a dead man walking for a new life in Christ. That is what Jesus meant, and everyone knew that that is what he was inferring. And so we see that this is also a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. He told us that we must be willing to pick up our cross Little did they know at the time that he would soon pick up his in our place. And he would carry it to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and die for our sins in our place. Jesus was willing to say goodbye to heaven, to his father, to everything, to even his life itself, in order to save us. And so if we want to be his followers, we need to be like him. Jesus teaches us that in order to be a true disciple... It means one of complete commitment to him above everyone and everything else. It means that you have put Jesus in the first place of your heart, above loved ones, above self-interest, self-gratification, possessions, career, hobbies, ambitions, and even your own life. Simply put, you are all in. When you go into the waters of baptism, All of you goes under. Nothing can be left out. We are all in for Christ. That is what it means. And so allow me to ask you today. If following Jesus interferes with your lifestyle, are you still going to follow? If following Jesus interferes with your closest relationships, will you still follow? This is no mere hypothetical situation. In many situations, following Jesus has meant the end of a relationship, the loss of friends, strained family ties, and in some instances even resulted in being disowned by family members. And so allow me to ask, are you still 
all in. If following Jesus means a conflict with your chosen career path, and he has another one for you to set out on, will you still follow? For me, that was a pivotal point of my life. I thought I was going to be a pilot. I thought that was the path that my life was going down. God had other plans, and today I stand before you as a pastor. I could get into the details, but I'll tell you, it came to a point of who was I going to follow? My own ambitions, my own dreams, or God's for me? And I can tell you that his plans are better. His ambitions are greater than anything I could possibly imagine. But I had to make the choice. I had to say, am I all in? Because I couldn't have it both ways. And so let me ask you, are you all in? That's what Jesus wants us to know up front, what it means to be a true disciple. He must come before everything and everyone. We have to be all in. Now I realize that this is a a direct challenge and a hard teaching to hear. And guess what? It was for the crowds that day as well. It was right in their teeth and most of them couldn't take it. Most of them faded away. And to those of us who are basking in grace and the love of God, this may even sound contrary to the message of grace and God's love for us. But let me explain it to you in another way to help us understand. Say I wanted to climb Mount Everest. But let's say approximately, I looked up the numbers, an an all-inclusive journey to go climb Mount Everest runs someone approximately $70,000 if you're going to have the best of everything. And so let's say I want to do this, but I don't have $70,000 to spend towards anything, let alone climbing Mount Everest. Suppose then a wealthy businessman, a benefactor, comes along, he hears of my desire, and he offers to write a blank check to pay for absolutely everything on my expedition. He would buy all the expensive clothing and gear. He would pay for my, my, my airfare, my transportation. He would pay for my training, and he would pay for the Sherpa guides and everything. It's totally free for me. But, if I accept the offer, what does it mean? It means I have to follow through on the journey, right? It means I have to set myself to the training. It means I have to get on that plane and fly over there. It means that I have to make the difficult and dangerous ascent to the summit, one which has taken many lives. The trip would be free, and yet it would cost me everything. In the same way, entering the waters of baptism is free, and yet very costly. It means the time of casual follower has ended, and the committed life of a true disciple has begun. You see, the large crowds were casual followers, and not true disciples. They were not ready to count the cost. So which are you? Are you just along for the ride? Are you just in it for what Jesus can do for you? Or have you counted the cost? Have you begun the journey with a clear mindset of, I am in this for life. Whatever God says, I will do. Wherever he sends, I will go. This is what we must decide at the beginning. Because to go halfway through is like the man who decided to build a tower, Jesus says. He starts building, he lays the foundation, he gets about maybe halfway up, a third of the way up, and suddenly he looks at his bank account and he doesn't have enough. The job's unfinished, and everyone looks and gawks, points and laughs. He thought he could build it, but he's ran out, and now it's halfway done. How many Christians are out there halfway done on this journey? They didn't count the cost up front, and halfway through, 
they fell away. Jesus says, don't begin until you count the cost. There's a TV commercial that has a man sitting in the chair at a tattoo parlor. And he wants to express his love to his girlfriend by getting her name tattooed on his arm. Halfway through the procedure, he asks the tattoo artist how much it will cost. $50 is the reply. So he pulls out his wallet and says, oh, I only have 41 Cut to the couple on the sidewalk. Donna's storming off with the guy yelling after her, I'll get it fixed. The camera zooms into the tattoo, which reads, I love Dawn. <laughs> Don't begin until you count the cost. Don't begin until you're sure you have that $50 in your wallet. Unlike many people today, Jesus wasn't interested in numbers. Large crowds didn't impress him. What Jesus wanted was total commitment. Jesus doesn't want crowds. My friends, he wants you. He wants individuals, sold out, dedicated for him. Because Jesus doesn't need crowds to rock this world. Jesus doesn't need crowds to change this world for his glory. Jesus doesn't need them. He needs individuals who are sold out, dedicated, giving their complete lives to him and for him. And God can use one man, one woman to change this world. God used one man, Peter, to preach a sermon on Pentecost that changed 3,000 lives in a single day. Those 3,000 went out to change the world. There are countless examples of one individual sold out for God who have done great things for his kingdom. My friends, God doesn't need the crowds. He doesn't even want the crowds. He wants you. Because he knows you by name. He knows each individual. And he loves you more than you could possibly know. And so my friends, where are you? The condition of much of Christianity today indicates that we have many who are just a part of that casual crowd. There are many who have not counted the cost. And even though a verbal profession of faith may be present, the total committed life that Jesus demands is lacking. It's like the story of the pig and the chicken. They're arguing over whose contribution towards a bacon and egg breakfast is greater. And so the chicken says, I have to lay an egg and give up my future chicks every day. Therefore, my contribution is greater. That is indeed impressive, replied the pig. But while your contribution requires some sacrifice... Mine requires total commitment. So the next time you enjoy bacon and eggs for breakfast, ask yourself, am I like the chicken or the pig? Am I a halfway disciple or am I all in? And of course, in daily practice, this commitment to Christ will be tested. And it will be tested often. And sometimes in moments of weakness, we will fail. But a true disciple never allows momentary failure to keep them down. A true disciple confesses it, repents of it, which means turning away from it, and keeps following after Christ. What Jesus is confronting us with in this text is not our ability to be perfect, but rather our willingness to follow him no matter the cost. Our willingness to follow him with our whole hearts, holding nothing back. The success or failure of a true disciple is not measured by when they began or by how many times they fall. 
The success or failure is measured by how many times they get back up and keep going forward. Keep going towards that finish line, the day when they will see Jesus face to face. Now for those of you here today who have not yet made that commitment to follow Christ, I want you to understand clearly what following Jesus really means before you make that decision. I would rather have you not make that decision today and truly understand it than to make a half-hearted decision not understanding the implications. And for those of you here today who have made that commitment, let this lesson be a reminder of what being a true disciple of Christ is all about. And for Mitchell and Caden and Eric, baptism today is not the finish line. It is the starting line. It is the beginning of an amazing adventure. And there will be tests along the way. There will be failures along the way and times of, of hardship, of heartache. But know that no matter what you face, when you hold on to Christ, you confess, you repent, you ask for strength, you ask for help. He will help you. He will pick you up. And you will continue forward until the day you see him face to face. And so, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay down or are we going to keep going? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, gives us God's desire for each one of us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today challenged. Your word is challenging. Lord Jesus, your call for complete allegiance and commitment is challenging. And Father, we recognize that so often we fall short. Even as we look back at our own lives in this moment, we recognize moments where we have not given complete allegiance to you. And so Father, for those here today who have made that step of commitment who know that they're halfway, they're like the crowds right now, oh God, I pray, by the power of your Spirit, would you work in their heart to confess this and to rededicate themselves to following you with their whole hearts and give them the power and the strength to do so. Lord, for those here today who have not yet made this commitment, I pray that you would again stir in their hearts, Lord, that this commitment, though it is challenging, though it is hard, it is the only life that is truly worth living because it is done with you and for you, and at the end of it, we will be with you. Hallelujah. We look forward to that day, Lord God, when we will see you face to face, and whatever challenges, whatever hardships we have to face along the way will pale in the light of your glory, and we will say it was all worth it. Every last drop of of sweat, every last tear, even our own blood, would be worth it for the day that we see you face to face. And so now, Father, we pray that we would be pleasing to you in all that we say and do. I pray now for Mitchell and Caden and Eric, Lord. Place your hand upon them in a powerful way. As they enter the waters of baptism, may they sense your presence, your smiling face down upon them, and know that you are near and you are pleased by their obedience and their act of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.